Well, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. I just want to say, if you haven't heard already, thanks again so much for taking the time and making the space to participate with us this morning. It really means a lot to us that you would do that and it's just, it's just good. Um, we do want to let you know we have a variety of ways and options for you to uh, participate in this, including YouTube, Vimeo, and Facebook. But the one we want to encourage you to go to, if at all possible, is at www.onelifeseattle.org um, slash live. And this has some options that the others don't, including uh, live chat, easy access to our online prayer team, Bible tabs, online connection cards, and a ton more. Uh, so if you can get there, awesome. We do want to let you know that we are happy that you're able to join us in whatever way you can and works best for you. Uh, so with that, um, I'm going to pray. Before we do, though, I want um, uh, Jessica Brady sent us um, a word that she had, but it was from last year at this time. And I want to read it today, and it's actually going to kind of function as our opening uh, prayer. Um, so I'll read it, and then I'll, I'll pray off of it. But I think it really is applicable for today, and it's, it just uh, is amazing to bring all these connections back from a year ago. So, so let's do that. This is the word. It says, so I have a picture of water. I feel like the water is reaching out and flowing to everyone. It is God's love flowing out and extending. We have the choice to either allow the water to flow or to stop it. As it flows, it has a double bonus. The water washes away fear and anxiety, but it also brings love and peace. It is a constant renewing. A constant flow is needed or it becomes stagnant. God, this morning, I pray that we would receive that. We would not try to resist, not try to stop, or not try to avoid you and your love, and your presence, but we would be open to it. Lord, just as we were a year ago when all this started, may you renew us again today to continue to move forward. Um, yeah, God, I'm thankful that you've been with us uh, through all this, and you will continue to do so. So we ask you to be with us and help us to see, hear, and know you in deeper ways this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. Um, well, we are a few weeks into a series that we've uh, entitled uh, God is Not, where we've been taking an opportunity to investigate some of the things about God that we might believe or philosophies we might have uh, that need to be reexamined and actually need to be deconstructed in order to discover what is really there with these beliefs, these doctrines, these theologies or philosophies that we hold on to, uh, and some that we may not even realize that we're holding on to, and, and some that are actually hindering us from following and growing in our faith in Jesus. And it fits that we're doing this in the season of Lent, which is this time where we do examine what we believe and how that examination and those things we believe impact not only the spaces we're in, but the people that we are with. And we have this saying uh, around here about Lent, that Lent is uh, its springtime. And so this quote that we've used a lot is that Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. And so it's this time of transformational growth as we lean into a time when Jesus was in the desert just after his baptism and right before he began his public ministry. And, and, and as I think about this again this year, it's amazing because it was during that time Jesus had to examine the things he believed. 
He was tempted by the devil to to even take the same words that Jesus used and twist them into different things. And Jesus had to examine and deconstruct what he believed. And then out of that, after he successfully navigated that, he emerged as this empowered person moved by the Spirit. And so we tap into that during this time. Now, during this specific season this year, we've looked at how God is not angry, God is not only male, and God is not silent. And um, as we're gonna find out today, um, even those things as we say those, they should just kind of open up another layer of questions, right? Another layer of exploration, another layer of investigation, right? And so even though when we say these things, we're not making like a new, boom, now here's the new statement. It's, it's, it's to be a launch pad into more questions. But this week, we're gonna be exploring the concept of what we're calling God is not scripted. Um, and, and, and I wanna talk for a minute about what do we mean by scripted? Um, some people would say being scripted means you're predictable. And then when you flip the script, so to speak, on someone, you do something that doesn't fit. It wasn't expected. And that's certainly part of it. And we can actually see throughout Scripture that God is neither predictable or boring. We read that God's mercies are new every morning. We read about God speaking through burning bushes and donkeys, showing up as a pillar of fire or a cloud or of smoke or mist. We see people being healed, people being freed from demonic oppression, and thousands being fed from one small boy's lunch. We also see people speaking languages that they've never been taught, people being literally physically transported from one place to another. And we see hearts that change. We see a person who was enjoying the violent persecution of the followers of Jesus, changing to become one of Jesus' most well-known followers and a leader amongst the followers of Jesus. And so we have lots of examples of God doing things that are contrary to the ways that the world works. And I've loved how Rich has phrased it the last uh, few times that he's spoken. As he said, it's not so much that God's turning the world upside down, but that God's turning it right side up. But what happens when God does things that go off the scripts that we've written in our hearts about who God is and how God should behave? It's one thing to watch as God does things that are miraculous or amazing and they line up with what we think, what we believe. But how do we respond when it's us that have written a script for God that God then launches from. It's a different feeling altogether. Often when I am writing a sermon, which I have various ways that I do, but I typically write them in what I'll call my final form on my tablet, and there are various reasons why I do that, but one of those is because there are thoughts that are not finished, um, and there are moments uh, that come up when we're singing. Um, there are things that happen. Uh, people will send in uh, words or, or when we're in person, people will come and approach us. But there's all these things that happen in between when the service starts and when one of us is actually up here preaching. And so on my tablet, and specifically in this program called OneNote, I have this seemingly infinite dry erase board, right? And so I can cross out things and write all kinds of big arrows and stuff. And I actually have a picture of some of my sermon notes. Um, 
And if we can go to that slide, there we go. So you can see, and some of you know that my notes tend to be more visual. And so on what is the left side of your screen, you have my, some of my actual notes. But on the right side, I've got the, the whole service outline. There's some other places where I've got things in there. I've got arrows and things off to the side of uh, things. Oh, I got to remember this. Oh, how about this one? Oh, here's another verse I wanted to put in there. Because all these moments happen um, on the way. And sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit moving, right? And so all these spaces off to the side could be considered like margins in a book. And one pastor called this kind of thing um, God, or God writing in the margins. And so this morning we're going to look at a story where I think some of that happens, where we see God moving in some ways and going off the scripts that pretty much everyone had. And so we're going to be starting uh, by looking at Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. If you have your Bible, you can uh, open it up and go to Matthew 20, uh, or you can hit the Bible tab on our online platform, or you can follow along. The verse is going to be on the screen, uh, and I'll, I'll read those. So this is Matthew 20, uh, verses 1 through 16. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon about th and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Uh, there's so much going on in this story. Uh, there, there's a ton of stuff happening. Um, and, and, and what I want to do is walk through um, and take a look at some of the scripts that might be there and how God uh, went, went off of those scripts. And so there's this landowner who, spoiler alert, is God. Um, and this landowner finds some workers early in the morning, and the landowner and the workers agree on a deal. You're going to come and do a day's work? I'll give you a denarius, and that was actually probably uh, appropriate. That was probably an appropriate amount for a day's work at that time. And so the landowner goes back out to the marketplace again around nine and finds some more workers and then does it again at noon 
and does it again at three, uh, and then goes out again at five, which is just an hour before the end of the day, and finds some more workers and says, why are you still here? Like, why are you not doing anything? And they say, because no one has hired us. No one has invited us. No one has picked us. No one has chosen us. And so the landowner says, well, let me change that. You also go and work in my vineyard. And so after the end of the day's over, landowner calls them all together, has the manager call everyone together and starts to pay everyone. And says, let's start with that crew that I hired last, the five o'clock crew. And then we'll work down to the 6 a.m. crew that we hired. And so he pays a 5 p.m. crew a denarius, a full day's wage. And as they're getting paid, the other crews are watching. And now they're starting to think, hey, this is gonna be good for us because they only worked an hour. We're gonna get more. But they also receive a denarius. And so they grumble, they get mad. They say, look, we worked all day and labored in the heat and they only worked an hour and yet you have made them equal to us. And the landowner responds, I love this. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then, of course, Jesus follows up with the famous line, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So as we look at this, we take the 6 a.m. crew, the early morning crew. What's the script that they have been writing for the landowner, right? Starts off with the contract they made, right? We're gonna do a day's work. Start in the morning, you're gonna give us a denarius, a day's wages, right? So, so everything up to that is going fine. But then they see that the, the, the late workers, the ones, especially the ones who showed up and only worked an hour, are getting paid a day's wages. And so their expectation changes. And they start thinking, awesome. Like, they get a denarius for working only one hour? Whew, we are gonna get paid today. And so their script about the landowner becomes, you should be paying us something that matches this reality that we worked longer than this other group. And so you should be paying us more. The landowner needs to, to fit this new dynamic of what they see as fair, which in their eyes means they're gonna get more. Again, if you're gonna pay the one hour of work group a full day's wages, then we should be getting significantly more than that. And the landowner goes off that script and says, I'm not sure what you're upset about. Didn't I give you exactly what we agreed upon. In fact, what I give them doesn't really affect you. Take your money and go. What I choose to give them is my choice to make with my resources. Just basically, this is what we agreed, move on. These are not the droids you're looking for. So now let's shift to the 5 p.m. crew. What script is this group writing the landowner comes out and finds him and says why aren't you why aren't you doing anything why are you still standing here and and, and their script is because no one's asked us we've not been chosen all day yet we've been standing here so maybe they're not expecting to get anything 
But the landowner says, no, no, come and work, right? And in, in this moment, we don't have any record of the landowner saying, and I'll pay you such and such. Just says, no, go work in my vineyard. And so they go work. And then when they're called in to get paid, and each one of them receives a denarius, which would have been like the common going wage for a day's work. Then how has that landowner gone off the script at that point? A full day's wage for one hour of work? Maybe they're overwhelmed by the landowner's generosity. Maybe there's a big thank you involved of some kind. Right? Both of these groups encountered some kind of hardship. The 6 a.m. crew had to work all day. The 5 p.m. crew had to wait all day. But neither of them could put a script on the landowner, just as none of us can put a script on God. We don't know what God sees. We don't know what God knows. And thank God for that. Because thank God that God is not limited to our sight and understanding. And so as we start looking at this, then, then what is the point of this story? Is it that the 6 a.m. crew just gets what they deserved? Is it that God is not fair? Is it that God favors some over others? Or is it that whether it was at 6 in the morning at the beginning of the workday or 5 p.m. in the late afternoon, right at the end of the workday, they all met the owner and the owner met them. They all saw the owner and the owner saw them they all experienced the generosity of the owner and that no matter what time it was the owner saw them and invited them to come and work in their vineyard and no matter what time it was the owner saw them all in the same way I want to give the group that came at five the same as I gave you to be met by the owner and seen by the owner is to be cared for by the owner to be brought near and welcome no matter what time they were found out and no matter how much work they did Anne Lamott says this she says I do not at all understand the mystery of grace only that it meets us where we are but does not leave us where it found us it meets us where we are but does not leave us where it found us, right? All these workers in this story, I think, would say they're in a different place, right? Some of them are angry, right? Some of them are angry about grace that they received but then felt like somehow others got something different. They, it wasn't fairly distributed, right? So now they're in a different place. The, the, the late group, they're in a place where they might be overwhelmed by that grace, So we find that God does not stay on the scripts that we have written. And because of this, and because we all will write scripts, it's kind of how we navigate the world in a lot of ways, I want to encourage us to have big margins in those scripts we write. To write that script on the biggest, infinite, dry erase board we can find so that we can cross things off, write arrows, redesign, insert new things. Because God loves those margins and God asks us to be open to the generosity and mystery of God not just for ourselves but for the people around us 
But it's actually very hard to do this because we can often feel untethered in this world when times are uncertain, which we've been through a lot of those. And in those moments, it's easy to fill in those holes and those hard spots with a script for God that gives us an illusion of certainty. An illusion of certainty for what we're going to say what we're going to do, how we will respond, who's in the scene and who's not in the scene. But when we end up writing things on our own, these things that kind of drift away from God, those things can end up hardening in our hearts. And thankfully, God likes to upend those things and if necessary, break those hardened things and replace them with a heart of flesh and faith. Because we often have a script for God and for ourselves and really for everyone. But God likes to step in and say, no, 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 look. Actually, the last are gonna be first and the first are gonna be last and take that script and totally upend it. And then God upends another script and says, and now I want you to come and be part of what I'm doing. And so since we cannot script God and God is not limited by our understanding and God is always writing in our margins, confounding what we know, opening our eyes to deeper reality and to intimacy with God and transforming us, but what does that look like? Well, Jesus flipped scripts and we're supposed to be like him. Last week in the midweek prayer, we prayed about transformation through connecting with Jesus that transforms us that enables us to become more like him and to live and move and have our being beyond the limitations that the world sets for us and so then we, we learn to live that out and um, this author uh, Gail Johnson who was uh, recently spoke at a pastor's gathering that Rich and I were at um, she was talking about how to care for our souls and specific specifically for pastors but she had this quote that really stuck out to me which was this uh, it says, intimacy with Jesus is the life of Christ released in you. Intimacy with Jesus is the life of Christ released in you. And she said that, that intimacy with Jesus isn't necessarily having like a really well-organized devotional plan or didn't need to be three hours. It was just simply being with Jesus, that that was it. And for me, when, when I heard this, there was this kind of wild image of like this river or this wind just moving and coursing freely through my whole being and that Jesus is wanting to be present in my whole person and that when that happens, we become more like Jesus. Become more like Jesus in how we respond to the things happening around us. And it really connected to me to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And it's a verse that, uh, a set of verses that Rich and I have used a lot in our season as your pastors. And so I want to read that because I think it uh, encapsulates this really well. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love how this starts out, that that we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. And what that means is that we no longer step on people to get to the top. We no longer use advantages we have to leverage for position because it's not a competition. It's not us trying to trying to be over other people. But it's now us being called to serve and love and flip scripts. And this great example of this is in the book of Acts. And um, this is uh, a story. Um, So the book of Acts is basically an entire book of just God flipping scripts. Um, but one of the most amazing moments is in chapter 10. And we haven't done scripture like this in, in a, a couple months or so, but um, if you want to, to, to read along in your Bible, you can. I didn't put it in the slides um, because I really want you to listen. I want you to, if, you, if it's something you're comfortable with, close your eyes, let your imagination like kind of just unleash a bit um, because I want you to imagine as I read, what's the setting for this story look like? What are the, the smells? What's the weather like? How many people are present? What do they look like? Put yourself in the story as much as you can. But I also want you to think about as you do that, what are some of the scripts that these people are working through? So this is Acts 10. I'm gonna read the whole section, the whole chapter, so get comfortable. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. 
And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are all well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So one of the main scripts that I encountered when I read this was the dynamic between Cornelius and Peter and then Peter and Cornelius's people that he sent and the ones in Cornelius' house. And Peter announces, look, you know that it is against our law for me to be here with you, let alone to have invited those guys you sent into my home, right, in the place I was staying, right, to be in their presence because it's against our law. It's, it's clean and unclean, and that can't happen. And yet, he says, God has shown me that no one is unclean, that, that I, can't, I can't make that call, right? And so that script got just completely flipped, right? We saw it in the, when the, the sheet came down, right? Peter says, no, no, I've never, never touched, never eaten anything unclean or impure. And God says, no, no, don't, don't call something impure that God has made clean. And Peter amazingly just goes, Right, and he says, so I, so I got up and went without any objection, even though up until just, just recently, that was my whole system. It was my, my understanding of how the world worked. And now God has upended that, and I immediately came without objection. And what we see is people who say, so yeah, because you came and because you, you, we see how that got, got flipped for you, we just want to hear anything that you have to say. We're here to hear whatever God has put on your heart to tell us. And then it's amazing, right? The Holy Spirit shows up. People are speaking in different tongues. And then you have not just Peter, but you have the people who came with Peter going, oh, God is totally beyond what I thought. When we love an enemy, we flip the script. When we help out, when we serve and care for people with extravagant generosity, we flip the script. When we own our own stuff and confess and repent and live in a new way, we flip the script. What ways right now, today, is God inviting you and me to have some scripts get flipped. Angie and I were doing a bunch of yard work this weekend and uh, we were getting some of those big uh, aluminum planter containers. I don't even know what they're called. They're like, they look like animal water troughs or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and we got to the place we were going that, that we were picking them up at and um, there was just one that was not the right size that we needed to fit in the car and so we were trying to find a different size one and there was one but it was in this bundle that was way up on the stack. It was outside in, in the parking lot and, and so we needed some help and so um, this very nice gal and guy uh, came out and, and the gal was like directing traffic and the guy came out in this forklift and he moved the big stack of things over that we needed and he got the one out and then he brought it like right over to us. But before he did that, he put the, the, the whole stack of these things, the whole pallet in the spot where they were supposed to be, 
uh, with the other ones. And then I heard him say, well, why are these apple trees here? These apple trees are in my way because they had these pallets of apple trees. And so he took his forklift and moved like four pallets of apple trees in just this amazing kind of Tetris like lift up, spin around, go this way, back it up in super tight, narrow spaces. And Angie and I were just amazed. And I, I said, this is like watching a surgeon, like his precision and all this stuff, the way he operates that machine is amazing. And, and Angie and I both kind of looked at each other and we were like, we should tell him. Like we should tell him that this is like, it's amazing to us. Like we were kind of speechless about it. And so he, you know, got done with that stuff and then brought over our, uh, the, the tub thing that we needed and set it right in a great spot for us, made it way less work for us. And I just said, hey, I just want to let you know, like, you're amazing. Like, like what you did with this forklift and how you moved it around and zipping through and spinning and moving through all these tight spots. And, and I could see he was kind of like, well, you know, and I said, no, really, like, like I'm just kind of speechless about it. And, and I could tell he didn't really have people do that that often. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not something people typically do just in our culture. We don't often just sort of give compliments like that. But, um, but then I could also tell he was really like, that yeah, kind of made my day. Um, and so he, you know, gave me the old goodbye and drove off kind of happy and whistling. And, um, and, and, and I left feeling really great. And, and it made me think like, so what were, what were even just the basic kind of scripts that I had and that this fellow had as we were engaging with one another? Like, I certainly didn't expect him to, to bring the things right over to where we needed. I expected him to lower them down and then Angie and I would bring them over to our cart or whatever. And then I just wasn't prepared to see sort of the, just this majestic way that he spun this piece of equipment around and just was avoiding, uh, it, was, it was craziness how he did it. And maybe he wasn't expecting that someone was gonna come up and say, when you're doing what you do, it's amazing, right? I, I just... And so we both left that with new ways to see people um, and, and feeling pretty good. And that was a super simple one, right? There's all kinds of things in our culture, in our world, where everyday interactions, we're just writing scripts, whether it's people cutting us off on the freeway or you know, all kinds of spaces and places. How many of us have had that moment where we're standing on one end of the grocery store aisle and there's another person on the other end when they used to be one way only? And it feels like this Old West shootout, right? We're gonna stand there and stare them down, right? Masks on, right? Are you gonna come this way? Because I got the arrow going my way. Right? And then we start forming all these things about this person. Oh, this person doesn't care. This person doesn't. And they're forming all kinds of things about us like, oh, this is going to be one of those, right? Who knows? But unless we engage and allow God to move some of our scripts around, we'll stay stuck in those places. And so I just want to encourage you um, in, this, in all of this because I believe, you know, we've talked about it several times today. This is the year-long anniversary of all this. Um, online church stuff. And uh, I, I believe that God is flipping the script for not just our church, but the church in general. Because for many years, pastors, including myself, with lots of scholars, theologians, Bible study leaders, etc., have been saying the church is not the building. The church is much more than the building. The church is the people. And for many of us, this past year, 
of being either without the building or having our building need to be in a very different role has really tested that. And I think we've seen the role that the building has played for churches. Um, I think we've been able to see if, if that was really true. Is, is the church more than the building? Was the script we were writing true? Did it hold? And I am really proud and excited to say for our church and a lot of churches that I've seen, it has. And I want to give props specifically to One Life, to the staff and the elders and the whole congregation, everyone who's connected. I'm so proud that we've maintained a good witness to our neighbors and cared for one another and our neighborhoods by staying with this. And I'm thankful for all of you who have been so supportive for us as staff and elders as we've tried to navigate all this. We have leaned heavily into you. And what I'm equally stoked about are the creative ways that we've been able to live out the reality that the church is the people, the body of Christ, not the building. But I also want us to be aware that as we go forward, I think it's going to be different. I think the church will be different. How that will look, we don't know at this point. But because we have, as a church, left space in our margins for God to flip our script, I believe we're going to continue to see new, amazing things about God, ourselves, and all of humanity. I have a couple of questions I want us to think about. Once I ask them, I'll pray for us, and then uh, Brian's going to play instrumentally. Give us some time to reflect, and uh, we're going to close with a song of benediction. And I also want you to know that our prayer team is going to be available uh, for you to be prayed for, so please, uh, please uh, utilize that. It's, it's, it's a key thing that we do right now. So uh, here's the, the few questions I have. Number one, are there any ways that you've been thinking about God that you have the sense that God might be flipping your script about? And you feel anything that, man, I've thought about this for a long time, and it feels like that's being challenged. And, and are you willing to investigate why that is and widen the margins out and see, is God really trying to change something here? And, and if you would write out what that is, that would be great. Um, and you can also send these in on the connection card if you want uh, to also. It's a great way for us to know what you're thinking. Second question, is there margin space in the scripts you are writing? Is it a practice of yours, just in general, as you're building your ideas and theologies and beliefs to have space to be open? Or do we have walls that kind of narrow in? Are we trying to defend and protect? Or are we open and trying to grow? Um, third, uh, are you open to have God rewriting things in that margin space? So sometimes we can leave big margins, but we don't really want God to be writing stuff in there, right? It's okay, I'll write other stuff in there or maybe other people, but I don't really want God messing with me in that space because that's really difficult and hard at times. Um, you know, are we willing to allow God to rewrite those, to have the visions like Peter and immediately go, whoa, so I go with no objection. Okay, let me pray. Uh, and then like I said, we'll have a moment of reflection. Brian will close us with a song and benediction. Dear God, I give you great thanks again for this day and for your presence with us and, and, and for allowing us to be together in whatever ways we can. I pray that as we learn and grow, we would not lose that margin space. In fact, I pray that as we learn and grow, that space would expand 
as we learn that you are so much bigger and we need so much more space to even think about you. I pray, God, that some of the things we learn from this would not be uh, the things that um, necessarily define what, what we are for the rest of our existence, but would be the things that would define us was that ability to have that margin space and to allow you to rewrite and reshape and redirect. Holy Spirit, I pray you would expand our curiosity and imagination and expand our creativity and love. Um, God, I'm so thankful you're not, you're not, we can't write a script for you. Um, and yet you invite us to participate with you uh, in, in your story. I give you great thanks for this and just ask you to be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.